All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome 8020 Baseball community. Coach Bo here with you. 8020 Baseball, it's been built and designed for youth coaches, youth baseball coaches that want both effectiveness and efficiency. Built for busy parents, mostly dads, but definitely some moms that want to walk out on the field confident with confidence that the strategies and methods they are using have been vetted, prioritized, and will bring about great results. It's been built specifically to serve youth baseball coaches, providing an efficient and proven path to great coaching. The 8020 Baseball Podcast is the audio part of the 8020 Baseball community, and it's a weekly get-together. It's our weekly get-together every Tuesday, coming together for about 30 minutes, in which we continue to become better and better coaches. Speaking of our weekly get-together, this week, we're going to discuss a coaching sidekick, actually our most important sidekick as coaches. And it's going to surprise many of you who, or should I say what, this sidekick is. The number one sidekick a coach has. We will discuss that in today's episode. Also, coaching tweets of the month. The top coaching tweets of the month. The top five coaching tweets of the month. I started sharing out some top tweets that I found on Twitter about a year ago. And then we've just phased in the top tweets of the month segment. This month, got five stellar coaching tweets that I'm bringing to you. Excited to share those with you. Definitely some nuggets of wisdom in each one of those that I'll share with you. We're also going to talk about a team out there that you all know that you can see on TV that's playing a little looser this year. They're playing loose and losing less. Playing loose and losing less. We're going to talk about that team and how we can learn from that team, even though they are a major league team, how we can learn from that team as youth coaches, as youth teams, because yes, professional baseball, college baseball, even advanced high school baseball is different than youth baseball. In some ways, it's very different, but in a lot of ways, inherently, it's the same. So we'll talk about how we can use, or at least we can all look at this team and you all can pay attention to it throughout the year if you catch a game or if you go look at some highlights and you can see what I'm talking about. And that's why I like to use professional teams as examples insofar as they are doing something that is applicable to youth baseball, not just applicable, but also a priority of youth baseball, something that youth baseball coaches, we should prioritize. And this is definitely one of them. Speaking of Major League Baseball and an example of somebody that we might want our young players to mimic a few things after, that's Freddie Freeman having a great season. Freddie Freeman, first baseman for the Dodgers, as most of you know. I have great information from a great Fangraphs article, Fangraphs.com article that talks about what he's doing doing a little bit better this year and that's why he's having a little bit better year than even the last few which have been really good years and we'll talk about that specific thing he's doing and how our players should strive to do it to be better at every level quick review of last week's episode so we discussed captains having captains versus not having captains i'm not completely against having captains if you feel really strongly about having captains go for it personally i wouldn't have captains i talked about how to get the same result 
or the same results, the benefits of what a captain or captains might bring, that is if it all works out perfectly and all works out great, those same benefits can be achieved. And if you listened to last week's episode, if you haven't, go back. I explained specifically what you can do rather than just giving the title captain to a few of your players or even having a couple players voted and then titled captain. I think there's a better way. There's definitely some better ways, in my opinion, to get the same benefits of having leadership from a peer level, from a teammate level, from the player level. I'm a huge fan of leadership coming from within the team, from within the players. I'm a big fan of that. So when I say I'm against having captains, it's because I have not seen it benefit teams by putting a title on certain players as the captain. Again, we discussed and go back and listen to last week's episode. We talked about the difference between youth baseball, where the players in each division are essentially the same age, and professional baseball, or even college baseball, where there's some age gap of sometimes five years in college, four years. And in pro ball, sometimes there's a 12-year age gap. So we talked about those differences. I just wanted to clarify, I am not against having captains. I just wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend getting to the same goal of having peer leadership, of having players model the behavior you want the other players to have. I am definitely a proponent of having leadership come from within the team, within the group of players that you have. But I think there's better ways to do it than just slapping a title on some players. And if you are going to have captains, I would almost say it's required. If you are going to have captains, you got to sit them down and explain to them the do's and don'ts of being a captain, the parameters at least. You don't want to take the individuality or the natural sense of leadership or the authenticity out of it. Why have a captain if you're going to tell them everything to do and not to do? But I definitely recommend if you do have captains, make sure you give them parameters. So go back and listen if you haven't already. And I think that was something I just wanted to hit on to be very clear. I'm not against captains. I think if you are going to have captains, you have to coach up your captains. You have to coach them up and give them some basic pointers, parameters, do's and don'ts. I don't recommend having captains. I recommend doing it a different way as discussed in last week's episode. Let's dive in. Part one, Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is a solid all-star major league player, one of the best in the world. And he's been a really good player since he was in high school. I watched him play in high school. In fact, before I moved to Boise, I didn't live that far from him. Well, I should say that far from where he grew up and went to high school. I would drive by his old high school all the time. Freddie Freeman is even producing more at the plate than before, and he's always been really good. He's off to a phenomenal start this year. And while he's hitting line drives like he always has, he's been one of the best line drive hitters in all of baseball. Now, before I get into the one thing that he's doing better this year that's elevated his game, number one recommendation when coaching all hitters, the number one thing we should coach up, we'll hit on that in just a second. If you watch Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers hit. It's very clear he's definitely not trying to hit ground balls. He is very clearly trying to hit the ball about 10 to 20 feet over the shortstop's head, over the second baseman's head. He's definitely trying to clear the infield with his line drives. So I wouldn't even consider it a line drive. I would consider it a low liner, a low hybrid line drive fly ball. He's just trying to rip doubles all over the field. He's trying to hit the ball with some loft. Not a lot of loft, but enough to get it over the infield. He's trying to hit the ball really hard over the infielder's head. I think that's really what he's trying to do is drive the ball. And if some of them leave the park, some leave the park. And if some just barely get over or some are one hoppers through the infield, so be it. He's going to have a lot of hits that way too. And he's going to get some home runs, but he's really trying to hit the ball hard about 15 to 20 feet over those infielders. Now, 15 to 20 feet over their heads is not a lot. It's definitely nowhere near a fly ball. So at the youth level, 
that would probably translate to driving the ball, trying to hit line drives hard 10 feet over the infielder's heads. So he's done that his whole career, and he's continuing to do that right now. He has the third best weighted runs created plus. Essentially, how many runs is he creating on offense, which is the goal of offense? How many runs do you create? Not your batting average, not how many hits you get, not even how many walks you get, not how many home runs you get, how many runs you create, how many runs you help your team get, bottom line. And he's the third best in all the major leagues. Now here is the one thing he's improved this year. Oh, by the way, he has a line drive rate in his career of 27%. He's helped his team win three more games already this year than the average replacement player. Basically, the best player in AAA, if they came up, and took his spot, he would have already been three wins better in terms of helping his team win three more games than that player. That's big. Not runs, wins. And he creates 70% more runs than the average player in the league right now. With parks factored in, the ballparks factored in, different fields, conditions factored in. Thing he's doing better than ever. He's chasing fewer pitches. He's swinging at better pitches. Just yesterday, I heard another video of Ted Williams. He was going through a checklist of things good hitters should do. Ted Williams, he was just so smart when it came to hitting. And he was giving out a list of seven things that all great hitters do. But he starts it out by saying, number one thing, all of hitting, swing at a good pitch. Of course, with less than two strikes. And Freddie Freeman is chasing fewer bad pitches this year. So in other words, he's swinging at better pitches. He's swinging at more of his pitches. With two strikes, of course, this shifts and doesn't become a swing at your pitch approach. It becomes a swing at pitches in the strike zone or near the strike zone approach. He's hitting more line drives, Freddie Freeman, than any other player in recent history. He's led the league in line drive rate six times over the past 10 years. And he's doing better this year because he's swinging at better pitches, which means he's striking out less and walking a little bit more, getting better counts. And those line drives are probably being hit a little harder. So keep coaching up with your hitters swinging good pitches. I get emails. I get a lot of calls from buddies who have kids or asking for swing advice, how to coach up the swing. I even got a text from somebody I hadn't talked to in a long time who said, hey, I, my son is playing. He needs to get a swing coach, a hitting coach. And my response was, go get a hitting coach. Make sure there's no huge flaws in the swing technique. But I told him, that being the dad, the most important thing he needs to learn to do is swing at good pitches and take pitches that are not good pitches, especially with less than two strikes. He needs to get that hitting approach, hone in his pitch selection first and foremost. If you haven't read the article on 80-20 Baseball, the three hitting plans, hitting approach plan article over at 8020baseball.com talks about an example of me sitting right up front watching Mike Trout a few years back in the middle of a tremendous season that he was having. Look foolish. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't his swing that made him look foolish. Swing was fine. All right, top five coaching tweets of the month coming strong here. Trent Mongero, Coach Mongero, tweeted this out about seven days ago. Here's his tweet. Quote, successfully apply these seven daily and it will streamline your way to success, reaching your ceiling as a player. And he lists the seven keys. One, take care of your body. Youth players, get some rest. Be hydrated before the game. Be hydrated leading up to the game. Make sure you're getting your vitamins, ideally from some whole foods. If not, Get some healthy vitamin supplements, be rested, hydrated, and have some basic nutrition taken care of. Number two, focus on short-term goals. Number three, work on your mechanics, but never 
obsess over them. It's okay to work on the hitting swing, and I'm going to kind of chime in here on this. It's fine to work on the hitting swing, but if you obsess over it, then you're going to lose the big picture. And the big picture really starts with swinging at the right pitches and not swinging at the pitches you shouldn't swing at. Another one is be on time. And that's not always a mechanical thing, although having extra movement in your swing, excess movement in the swing can definitely be an issue of being on time. So work on your mechanics, but never obsess over them. And he's talking about pitching. A lot of times pitchers obsess over the pitching delivery, their mechanics. They're just micro analyzing their mechanics. Sometimes you just got to go out and compete. Number four, Angero says, don't worry about what other players are doing in front or behind you. Number five, play in the now, not last pitch not next pitch, the pitch that's coming, offense and defense. That might be the number one key, even though it's listed at number five in the whole tweet. Number one, in my opinion, players play in the now. Be present for this pitch, not the last one or the next pitch. Number six, be patient. You're good enough. Be ready when your name is called. Number seven, have fun. It's a game. When the umpire says play ball, you play. Really like this tweet by Coach Mongero. Next tweet by Pitching Coach U. Pitching Coach U. When possible, throw your bullpen. Have players throw their bullpens on the game mound. This is not always easy, and I'm going to throw in some stuff. That's not always that easy to do, but if it's possible, if you can get some extra bullpen time or any bullpen time on the mound that the players will be pitching on in the game or in the majority of their games or in some of the games, this can be very helpful. I highly recommend it. I was coaching a team about six years ago, the pitching staff, about seven years ago now, and we set the school record for ERA. And I had those pitchers throwing a lot of their bullpens off the main mound. Now, the efficiency of this is a big trade-off. Yes, but I wouldn't just have one pitcher throwing. I would have multiple pitchers. I would have the bullpen, bullpens fired up. I'd have pitchers down there working. I would have pitchers working on PFPs. I would have pitchers working on shadow pitching, some dry work, some flat ground work. And then I would have one, I would have a station. I would have one pitcher on the main diamond mound. So the quote is from pitching coach, you when possible, throw your bullpen on the game mound, depending on the ballpark, it can be a much different feel. Get comfortable where it matters the most. I think that's a really good tweet right there. Of course, I put in my top five, but something that gets overlooked, but I think can be very helpful for pitchers. A lot of pitching is up in the head between the ears. The more comfortable a pitcher gets in their workspace, on the mound, the more at home they feel. That can't hurt. It may not always help a lot, but it can't hurt. It will help certain pitchers more than others. Next tweet by Tamara. She goes by Coach T. Numbers don't always tell the full story. Did you go three for three, but you got lucky? Your approach wasn't on point? Or did you go Oh, for three, but your process was tight. Your approach was great and your line drives found a glove versus the gap. Make sure that you identify the full story when you self-evaluate. That's a great tweet. Now, at the end of the day, results are results. So if a player goes, if a player goes two for 50, they can't just say the other team got lucky 48 times. Of course, that's not going to happen. But within each game, there are definitely players that go up there and do go one for four, but had four great at-bats. And there are some players that go three for four, but those four at-bats that they had weren't as good as the Ofer kid, the Ofer player. Really like that quote by Coach T. Next, coaching tweet of the month number four by Gabe Gross. G Gross 18. G Gross 18. Parents of boys who play sports. Always remember you are first raising a man, not an athlete. Character development, dealing with failure, overcoming obstacles, being a great teammate, and learning to be a leader in the face of adversity are 
all more important than ERA, batting average, win-loss record, etc. Well put, Gabe. Coaching tweet number five of the month. No one wants to play for a coach who is constantly negative. It's important to love your players equally as hard as you push them. The better your relationship, the harder you can coach them up. Constantly challenge and motivate your athletes, but don't disrespect them and never make it personal. Condemn the action, not the athlete. That is soft instead of you are soft. That's not good enough instead of you are not good enough. That is a bad shot instead of you are a bad shooter. Of course, that's a basketball reference there. Most importantly, compliment daily be direct, intentional, and specific when good things happen. Give high fives. Call out players for positive change. Give credit. Show love. Coach Dottie. Nice. At Coach Dottie. D-O-T-Y. Nice tweet. And that wraps up our top five coaching tweets of the month. Those tweets pump me up. There is some really good stuff in the baseball coaching community on Twitter. You can follow me. 8020 underscore baseball. 8020 underscore baseball. I don't put out a lot of stuff. I usually put out two or three things a week, messages, really to work on that paradigm, some tips. But these were some great things out of all the stuff I saw. I probably, for every five of these top monthly tweets that I bring you, these top five coaching tweets, I probably go through 500 tweets. Maybe, I don't know, every other day I look through about 25, 30 posts and I try to bring you the cream from the top. So the Texas Rangers are playing well right now. I want to say they have the best run differential, the best run differential of any team in the major leagues. And I read something about the Rangers are playing with freedom and fun vibes. Imagine that. Playing loose and losing less. Now, there is a point where you don't want to be too loosey-goosey. We've talked about that. But when players play tight or tense, they cannot move with quality movement. They don't make fluid decisions. They have a foggy mindset. They're thinking about what the coach is going to say rather than just executing and making the play. They don't play free and easy. Here's an article from thescore.com. Get happy how the Texas Rangers offense became elite. I'll read a little clip from this. It's a little summary of the article. The article is about 2,700 words. I shortened it down to about 250. The Texas Rangers are surprising everyone this season with their high scoring offense and impressive run differential. The team has only made a few changes to its lineup, but the players credit their success to good clubhouse vibes and happy players who want to show up, work hard, and share ideas. Veterans like Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager lead by example with their consistent routines and focus on individualized instruction from coaches who listen more than they dictate. The hitting staff also gamifies practice by creating game-like situations that challenge players to be more selective but also selectively aggressive rather than passive. The Rangers' approach seems to be working as many of the regular position players are enjoying career-best performances in the weighted runs created plus category, which is essentially the ultimate stat at this time that we have publicly available for how well a player is doing on offense. How many runs do they create? Nathaniel Lowe, last season's breakout player for the Rangers, believes that happy players who are invested in getting better will perform at their best. Manager Bruce Bochy agrees that creating an environment where players feel comfortable playing with 
Freedom is crucial for success. The right kind of veterans can influence younger players positively by setting an example through consistency in their routines. Flexibility is another important element in creating a positive environment where players can maximize available resources. Coaches should be okay working for the team instead of insisting on doing things one way or the other. This allows each player to find what works best for them while still contributing positively towards the team goals. Gamifying practice creates a stimulating environment that promotes growth without the fear of failure or exposing flaws too intensely during intense training sessions or game situations. In summary, gamifying practice, having some fun. Again, never do we want the players to call all the shots, to have free reign of things. They're kids. They're kids. They don't even want that. Kids want some structure. They just don't want to be in a 10 by 10 cage at the city zoo. They want to be at the wild animal park. Still has fences. They can't just run off anywhere. But those fences are in the distance, not always visible. They know they're there, so they know they're safe. There's some structure, but they can play free and loose, but know there are parameters to it. And imagine that rangers are having a lot of fun. They're gamifying practice more and having a little bit more fun, playing a little more free and easy. You want to ruin a player's career. You want to ruin a player for a game, a season, a career. Be intense as a coach. Be a yeller all the time. Don't give the players any breathing room. Get your players feeling tight and tense stressed, worried, they will not be successful in the game or as successful. They will not be as successful during the season. And they're a lot more likely to not want to keep playing baseball or any sport for that matter. Part three, just going to hit this real quick. Matt McClain, he's playing now for the Cincinnati Reds. I was just checking up a few days ago. He has a 10 or at the time he had a 10 game hit streak, the best on his team this year. It's early in the year, but he had, he's just got called up and he had a 10 game hit streak. Very good statistics. Even today when I'm recording this, he's not a big guy. He's a smaller guy. He's definitely not in the major leagues because of his raw athletic ability or physical stature. But I'll tell you what, he's got a great hitting approach. He's ripping line drives. He's a lot like Freddie Freeman in terms of trying to hit line drives and swing at good pitches. Or should I say swing at good pitches and then hit line drives. And then with two strikes, battle and just don't aggressively chase anything and everything, but battle on pitches in the strike zone. And use all parts of the park. But that's going to happen naturally when you try to hit line drives and you swing at good pitches. You're naturally going to drive the ball because if you're chasing everything, you're probably swinging or committing too early without really seeing the trajectory of the pitch. So if you take the time to select the right pitch to swing at, inherently, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I think we did talk about this a couple years ago. Inherently, when hitters have to or are forced to take the time to make an accurate or rather accurate, not perfect, assessment or judgment as if they should swing at that pitch or the incoming pitch or not, or should they take it, by forcing players to be selectively aggressive, they have to let the ball travel a little more so they have a higher success rate when it comes to swinging at the right pitch. And that's going to force them or that's going to lead to them hitting the ball the other way a little more often than hitters that are just out in front guessing or really not going up there with the priority of swinging at good pitches, but rather just swinging hard and trying to hit bombs. So he's hitting the ball all over the ballpark. Even his two home runs have gone to right center. That's Matt McClain. He's got a 10-game hit streak, and he's not a physically imposing. He's definitely shorter than average. He's not a 
physical specimen compared to the average Joe. Yeah, but not in the major league level, not, not as a professional athlete. Why is he having a lot of success? I think some of these players are really good to watch because you can take out the fact that it's not physical for the most part. Sure, he's got fast switch muscles and yeah, he's athletic. I'm not saying he's not, but he's less than your average player, but he's still having success. And it'll be interesting to see how that success continues. Now, the final part of today's episode, coaches, our greatest sidekick, our most important sidekick, the number one coaching sidekick is not an assistant coach. It's not a fancy new glove or a fancy new bat. Youth coaches, the game itself is our greatest coaching ally, our greatest coaching sidekick. We will remove more of the teaching burden from ourselves when we better leverage a quality game-like practice environment. Let the game do its share of teaching. My message is you don't have to teach the kids everything. The coaching staff doesn't have to teach the kids everything. We will never teach them everything if we're doing it right. In fact, if we want them to grow fast as a player, if we want them to get better quickly, we cannot be the sole teachers of our players, that being the coaches and the coaching staff and the parents. If you want to speed up, Player development, you have to leverage the game. And what do I mean by that? Specifically, leveraging quality game-like practice environments, situations, and setups and drills. Here's the thing too. It's an e easier strategy to know what the game looks like on Saturday or to look back and know what the games have looked like the last two months and then replicate a drill or a training situation that looks like things that happen often in the game with that difficulty level of the game in mind and also even making the drills more difficult from time to time. Either the practice is gonna be harder and the game's gonna be easier or practice is going to be easier and the game's going to be harder. That is an equation that will be true until the end of time with sports. Easy practice, harder games. Harder practice, easier games. Now when I say harder, I don't mean yelling and screaming and all that, just a challenging practice with some fun and some games and some gamification. Of course, one of the most amazing feelings as a coach when you go out there is confidence. And one of the things that gives coaches a lot of confidence is removing the burden, all of the burden to teach up your players, to coach up your players from yourself and from your coaching staff. When you start to delegate that burden of teaching players to the game itself, that's a nice relief because now you're not completely responsible for teaching every skill and every technique perfect and communicating it perfectly and getting them to process it and apply it perfectly. Just create really high quality game-like practice situations, drills, reps, quality reps at scale, quality reps at scale. Some of them easier than the game, a lot of them at the same level of difficulty as the game. And there should be a good chunk of every single drill when it's possible, and it usually always is, in a safe way, make the drill harder than the game when possible. Either your game is going to be easy or your practice is going to be easy. But I'll tell you what, if your practice is easy, the games are not going to be easy. And if your practice is hard, the games will be easier. So pick your easy. If you want to take the path of least resistance in practice, your team will see the path of most resistance come game time. Leverage the game to do a lot of the teaching. High quality reps will teach. Kids need to do. We learn by doing. I'm not saying we can't learn by listening and learn by seeing. Yes, 
But the best teacher is doing, going through the reps, going through the movements. That ingrains it not just mentally, but that ingrains it physically. I get pumped up because I know all of you 8020 baseball coaches are listening. I love the feedback, all the emails I'm getting, the direct message tweets I've been getting, and emails that have been sent my way that continue to come in. It just pumps me up because when I hear from all of you, I can see that you're starting to say, hey, wow. These are some massive competitive advantages, and they're just really common sense, but they're not prioritized, and they're not trusted, and they're not discussed across the baseball community as consistent or maybe even as clearly as they should be. So I get pumped up because I know all of you on the other end listening to this right now, I know you're shaking your head going, yeah, I get it. My practice is probably too easy. I can make the game easier simply by making my practice harder more challenging, more difficult, not the entire thing. And definitely don't want to yell and scream and run it like a boot camp, but make it more challenging. Make things harder. Want to lower the fail rate in the game? Raise the fail rate in practice. Make sure you're doing it with a lot of praise or just don't say anything at all. Just, hey, and be up front with your players. Players, you want practice to be easier or the game to be easier? Just let them pick. Do you want the games to be easier or practice to be easier? And let them raise their hand. I'd be shocked if they don't all raise their hand for the game. They want the games to be easier because those are the most stressful That's when they want to do their best. So they want that easier. Okay, when they all raise their hand, I want the games to be easier. Or do you say, would you rather have more success in practice or more success in the upcoming game? Let them commit. Let them go all in on that. They're all going to raise their hand. I guarantee it. They're all going to raise their hand. You might have a little knucklehead outlier that just puts his hand up to be different, that contrarian goofball kid. But they're all genuinely, if they're really raising their hand from the heart, they're going to say, hey, coach, I want the game to be easier. I want to have more success in the game than practice. Okay. So they committed to it. Now make it happen. Again, I like the 20-40-40 ratio. 20% of the drill starts off a little easier than the typical game. The speed is about 10, 20% slower. And that's the first 20%, give or take, of the reps. A little easier than the typical game. 40% of the reps are at game speed or game-like for your level. And then 40% of the reps, so 4 out of 10, are more difficult than your typical game rep. Or more difficult than your typical playoff game rep. All right, it's always great to be here with you. Send me your emails, share with me your successes, coachbo at 8020baseball.com or go over to the website. Got a dozen articles, videos over there to get a ton more learning done so you can walk out on the field confident with what you know, with your plan, and you'll have a lot more success. You got the drill design guide ready for you over there. Support the podcast. Take two minutes and leave a rating. That's huge. And until next week, take care of yourselves, your health. Take care of that health. Take care of your families, your close friends, and go take care of your team, your kid, your players by taking this and implementing it. Take these strategies, put them into action. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.